BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito What's good? What's going on? Welcome back to another episode of the Hogshaven Podcast, powered by SB Nation. You can find us at hogshaven.com, at hogshaven on Twitter and on Facebook. I am your host, Molly Maul. Jamal Forrest, you can find me on Twitter at Let Maul Tell It. Do not forget the you. Uh, on this episode, um, a very good interview with Logan Paulson. Uh, the commander's analyst, he's done, he does a great job uh, breaking the, the film down, breaking, uh, giving an insight on player evaluation and uh, just understanding from an X's and O's standpoint what's going right and what's going wrong about the Washington commanders and the opponents that they're facing. Uh, Logan uh, stopped by uh, to chop it up um, and preview uh, the, the commander's season from his his lens um, and also give a brief uh, input on, on what we can expect uh, his key matchups to be as Sunday hits around for the Jacksonville Jaguars against the Washington Commanders. Look, I think we're four four days away, everybody. Well, let me let me count Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Yeah, because y'all know my math ain't really right for real. But four days away. Thankfully, it was right this time. Um, but yeah, Logan, like I said, he chopped he chopped it up for a second. Uh, we got to talk about you know Carson Wentz obviously in in good detail. Uh, Scott Turner, 
Ron Rivera, his approach to the preseason, his approach to training camp and offseason altogether. Um, Scott Turner's ability to prove himself or his need to prove himself. Um, you know, the weight that's on Carson Wentz's shoulders, the perceived weight that's on his shoulders. Does it does it legitimately exist? Um, a whole bunch of other topics. Obviously, Jack Del Rio played a portion in his defensive line situation. What are the weakest points? What are the strongest points of the defense? Things like that. I mean, obviously, what to expect, like I mentioned, with Jacksonville game, uh, some of his key matchups, which is pretty good and pretty insightful. So um, I won't hold you all any longer. Let's go ahead and get into the interview with Logan Paulson. Uh, we have a couple more episodes coming out this week. Um, but yeah, uh, this one is a standalone, a good standalone. So let's go ahead and get into it. The episode with Logan Paulson is right now. And joining us right now is the good man, Logan Paulson, who is doing an excellent job as a commander's film analyst i do appreciate you joining me today i think uh to start things off logan um look you didn't got this question a million times at this point <laughs> and i know it's frustrating but i'm gonna go ahead and be the millionth and one uh asking you this same exact question what is your gut feeling <laughs> on the 22 2022 commanders this year yeah i mean i have got that question quite a bit and i think the thing um that I'm going to tell that I told that I told everybody that I'm going to tell you too is just that um, I think this team is so hard to know exactly where they're at right now. Obviously, they've done some really good stuff in training camp. They've shown what they showed in preseason, but I think because of Ron's philosophy towards the preseason and keeping kind of the the core of the game plan very tight to the vest, I think it's really hard to know exactly who they are. I mean, I like the personnel offensively. I like the depth. I like the youth. I like all of those things, you know, defensively, I think they're communicating better in the back end. I think the front is playing more cohesively, but again, like it's got to all come together in that, you know, for week one and then kind of stay together for the rest of the season. And I think that's the thing that's really tough to kind of give a solid evaluation on. I think I like where the team is at, but you know, like Carson Wentz, like he's an up and down type of player. Like, can he be more consistent? Can Scott Turner help him be more consistent? Those are the types of questions that kind of make me, a little uncertain about where the team is at that in conjunction with how Ron handles the preseason process. So um, to kind of give you a, a cop out answer, I don't know. I feel good about the personnel, but I don't know like where the team is at actually. And we won't know until probably five games into the season. So to be honest with you, that's not even a cop out answer. I think that's, that's probably the right answer. And sometimes people uh, would give you like a yes or no. Like I was talking about it earlier particularly about Carson Wentz um because you know I, I you're you're more so objective uh, as it relates to the team because you, you you got a bird's eye view from the from the film standpoint as well and uh, you understand what the players are trying to get done but like from a fan standpoint they talk about Carson in like absolutes like you have to be for him um or against right. them but I mean the true answer is you really don't know and uh I listen to your podcast often man and, and it's been I'm not exaggerating because you're on the show. Like you, you've known me to this point for for a few months now. I love it because it's it's exactly my lane, X's and O's. I don't have right. to worry about anything else. I just love to listen <laughs> to that stuff. And uh, one of the issues that you had, you actually just talked about it uh, with the Commanders heading into the season, was you essentially just didn't know them. And uh, because right. you you they they really didn't show much in the preseason. You don't know exactly what Scott is going to do uh, with his personnel and, and some some of the same semblance with with Jack Del Rio. Uh, I think I will ask you though to this point. They're heading into year three. Both uh, well, actually, all three of them, Jack, Ron, and yep. Scott, from a confidence level. Where are you at with Turner and where are you at with Del Rio to turn their respective units around this year? 
Well, I think with Jack at the moment, I think that unit is kind of rounding the bend. And so the reason I say that is when you watch training camp practice last year, there was a lot of issues. You know, there were guys, there were free runners in, in the secondary, which is something you never want to see. And then that kind of bled into the preseason, that bled into the regular season. So I'm hoping that they're, they're more cohesive kind of communication driven connection on the back end carries into the regular season. And I think that group is going to be better. I think I think they're playing better. I think statistically they should be better based on how they performed on first and second down last year. If you read Warren Sharp's book, we had him on the podcast. That's something he talked about a lot. And I, I, I tend to agree with that assessment. I think the other thing that sticks out to me is just, you know, like the group's more mature, the strength of schedule's worse. I think that group's going to be better. Scott Turner, in my estimation, it's much harder to evaluate because he hasn't really had the pieces in place to run the offense that he wants to run. You know, he had Taylor Heineke, he had Alex Smith, and this is a vertical, this is a passing game that's driven on kind of attacking deep down the field to open up the underneath stuff. And when you can't attack deep down the field, you can't do kind of like operate in the core tenant of what this offense is. So I think that's something that um, makes it really hard to know where Scott is, you know, and I was expecting to see a version of that offense in training camp, right? Uh, you know, a little bit more aggressive down the field. And I think people hear that and say, oh, they're going to be throwing bombs over Baghdad every single play. That's not what this offense is, but you do expect to see more shots. And I just, it wasn't, they weren't hitting the shots with any like level of consistency. Yeah. And it kind of was like, if they can't do that, then what is the offense? Do they kind of regress back to what they were last year with Heineke? I don't know. And again, like Ron has made it very clear. Scott has made it very clear that they're holding kind of, game plan specific plays for the regular season, which is not uncommon. But again, in terms of me evaluating where Scott is at, like you just don't know until you start to see it week one. How is he as a play caller? What are his rhythms? And that's something that, that Ron's talked about a little bit is like he wants to see Scott get into the rhythm of the game, get into the rhythm of calling a play. And, you know, like having worked with a high school football team, like that's a real thing. Like getting in, in the flow of the game, understanding what the coordinator is trying to do in certain situations and not just kind of going color by numbers and kind of getting a gut feeling for what you want to be doing and what your identity is. So um, long story short, I feel a little bit better about Jack. I just think that group's going to perform better just by default, right? They're playing better than they did last year. They have a weaker strength of schedule. They're facing weaker quarterbacks. And Scott still remains kind of the the, the outstanding question, in my opinion, because he just hasn't had an opportunity to show what he what the offense is, and hopefully he can do that uh, week one against Jacksonville. Here's here's my thing, and and I think um, you mentioned preseason and training camp a couple of times, and to be honest with you, uh, I, I guess we'll this will be probably like the one mention of preseason to this point since we're finally here at the regular season. But for <laughs> Logan, I think one issue that I've had to this point is I I can understand. If, you know, if you believe a certain thing in terms of playing your guys and, and wanting to make sure that, you know, you get you maximize the, the the practice time that you all have and you don't want to limit and you don't want to expose them to injuries or whatever, whatever your issue right. is or whatever you believe in. OK, that works. But I think for, for Washington and this is my opinion and I want to see how you feel. But if, I think for Washington and a, where a team that has gotten off to slow starts both years, two and seven in 2020, uh, three, two and six in 2021. Uh, and then you're talking about 
like I said, a team on offense who, who gets off to the slow starts and a team who looked uh, in terms of situational football, they weren't executing in preseason. I feel like this is something where you, you look at a team like this and you you recognize in year three that you need to turn things around from a sense of urgency standpoint. And if things aren't connecting, in your opinion, like as a coach, in your opinion, you think that things aren't connecting just yet? Like you have to try to avoid uh, the thought that, you know, a, a, a switch is automatically going to get flipped on in the regular season. I think right. that you're in a position where uh, you recognize that things need to work. You need to see show that sense of urgency. And so what if you're hiding something? But if you want these guys to click, you can't avoid that if you're not you're not even giving them work from other teams and scrimmages, team scrimmages, or uh, giving them time in preseason. You can't limit them in preseason and then also not let them see other teams and other looks in, uh, in training camp, meaning like the joint practices and things like that. So my opinion, Logan, is that uh, I don't think that they did enough in the preseason hmm. personally. And I, and I think that uh, while it's not directly transferable to the, the regular season and people are going to forget the preseason work, there is so many different ways in which you can evaluate a preseason. And it can be from execution standpoint. It can be from situational football, not not from a win-loss standpoint, but there's other ways you can evaluate it. And I think that's the biggest thing that sometimes when Ron, who is a person in which he is very stuck to his ways and true to his ways, which for good or for worse, can kind of get you in trouble if you don't recognize that there is some type of gap. There is some type of gap in your preparation from a preseason training camp standpoint. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with that. I think um, I think that's the tough thing about being an NFL head coach. And I think I talked about this on the podcast is, you know, there are certain things. And, I, you know, Craig pointed this out, my co-host, and he basically was saying that, like, coaches have superpowers, right? Ron's superpowers to be incredibly patient, right? Incredibly patient with players, incredibly patient with coaches. And that has paid off for him in the past because you get guys who develop and become very good players. You also get coaches who develop and become very good coaches. But there is um, there is an Achilles heel to that, right? Which you kind of alluded to. If if you're always patient all the time and there's no sense of urgency with the offense or the defense or the team in general, then some of those things show up. So I think that kind of reveals itself with the Sam Mills uh, firing really late in this in, in the in the off season. You know, like you'd like to see that happen earlier. And I think. Um, again, like that, that's a deficiency, right? That's something that I think all the fans were kind of aware of, you know, the defensive line wasn't happy with them. The defensive line was underperforming. And so who's the person that should get fired because they're, they're not elevating the group they're coaching is the defensive line coach. And that doesn't happen until way late in, the, late in the year. And obviously you don't want to see anybody get fired, but obviously you want to see that individual doing their job. So, um, it's kind of to your point. Yes. I think there is a, you know, there is a sluggishness. There has been a sluggishness to the preseason. Um, you know, the practices have been better. I think fans, if you can come out and watch them, I think there's been an urgency in practice, but it would have been nice to see some of that carry over to the games. And, you know, if I'm Ron, if, I, if I'm the head coach, which I'm not, I would probably have made a bigger effort to kind of say, hey, we want to start quickly. We want to make sure we're converting on third down early if we're on offense. We want to make sure we get off the field on third down on defense even if I have to put more into the game plan to make that happen. I just want to know that the guys are kind of trending in that direction. And it's weird because I think on defense, if you watch the Kansas City game, the secondary played pretty good. They played with mm -hmm. a good sense of urgency. But it, the rush and the secondary don't really time up, right? And then week one, the secondary is a little off in certain third down situations, and the rush is great. So that group, just the urgency to kind of bring it all together and make it happen for a season. And I, and I want to point out to fans that, despite kind of this icky feeling that I think a lot of people have coming out of preseason, ultimately those are practices, right? They're kind of joint practices in a weird way. And so if they're learning something about the team and about the roster and about the preparation during those games, 
even if they're not winning and even if they're not playing well, that's valuable information that gets them better. So even though it might feel like, oh, what are they doing? Like, you know, I had a conversation with a coach um, two weeks ago after the Kansas City game. And basically it was like, you know, we're trying new stuff in this game. We want to see how guys react to this call and how if we can get this executed. And I understand that. But I think when I have a conversation with Ron in the film study that I do with him and he's like, you know, these alignments aren't right. I think that also points to something else, you know, in terms of being detail oriented. So kind of to your point, I think, yes, it is an icky feeling, but I also think it's important to kind of keep it in context. And and I'm going to give Ron the benefit of the doubt here and basically say, like, he's got the plan. His patience is going to be a superpower here and they're going to be ready for week one. So kind of take take that what you will. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really a give and take of preseason. Um, and like you said, and, and like we all know to this point, there's multiple methods uh, that can work. Uh, so, you know, we'll see. We'll see. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. Uh, but, I, but, I think, but, I, but I think to your point, like the past history does not support future success here yeah. yeah right and i think that's something that like, like why fans are reluctant to embrace this right and i get to watch practice every day and i get to watch the film of practice every day and i think that i see a better group but ultimately you have to see that group execute on sundays and we didn't get any kind of taste of that from the preseason which i think why a lot of fans are frustrated now when it comes to carson um you spoke on him briefly as well but uh, I guess from a, a more detailed perspective, what are the traits that you've seen from him that you are you are most confident in as we head into the season? But also, uh, what are some of the ones that kind of leave you hesitant about, you know, what he can do in Washington? I mean, obviously, the physical skill set is, is there. You know, he's got a huge arm. He's a big man. He can move really well for a man of his size. Um, he's a smart guy. You know, like when you talk to him, he's obviously very, very intelligent. He's very, very football savvy. I think all that stuff is is very, very critical for the position. I think the thing that, that sticks out to me when I watched this film in, in Philly, when I watched this film in Indianapolis, when I watched this film during practice, is there's a level of inconsistency to his fundamentals that makes it hard for him to be successful down in and down out. And I think that's the thing that really sticks out to me. And the thing that I think is going to really define this season for this team is I think he's going to make plays for this team that Heineke couldn't have made. But I also think there's a level of kind of inconsistency to his game that is going to lead to some bad plays, you know, and I think people are well versed and very familiar with that. And so I go back to Scott Turner and I say, Scott, like, how do you put him in the best position to be successful, to maximize what he does? And I think that's the thing that I'm most curious about going into the season, right? Is, is not, I know, I think everyone kind of knows generally who Carson is. He's a smart player, physically gifted, but he needs help to be a top 15 player in the NFL at the position. He needs schematic help. He needs play calling help. And that's where I think it becomes um, this first game against Jacksonville becomes a litmus test for how much Scott and this staff are going to help him. Cause unfortunately, like he's not Tom Brady, he's not Drew Brees. And like, that's fine. Cause that's who he is, but he needs this group, this group of skill players, this group of coaching staff, the offensive line, to get him to where to, to, to a level of success that he hasn't seen for a couple of years. And that the couple of years that's kind of escaped him success wise, I think um, essentially indirectly puts a, a weight on his shoulders, I guess, or, or from a pressure standpoint that he has sure. to really step up. Well, this year is the perceived pressure on Wentz's shoulders this year to perform. Uh, do you think that is legitimate or, or somewhat overblown, uh, for him, what what do you think about the, the pressure that 
uh, perceived pressure that he may be facing uh, this year? Well, I think it's interesting because in the NFL, it's anytime you're not performing at the highest of levels, there's always a certain amount of pressure. Like in my career, um, you know, I was always on the fringe because I was never like an elite player, right? Because the one thing about the NFL is there's always somebody coming for your job, right? So if he doesn't perform well this year, I mean, I think Indianapolis, what happened in Indianapolis is a perfect example, right? I think he didn't play badly. I think he had some friction with ownership there that led to him leaving more so than anything. But I, I think like when you look at that, he said he didn't do what he needed to do to stay there and, he, and the team moved on. And that's the nature of the quarterback landscape in the NFL now. It's become much more like, are you a top 10 quarterback? Yes or no? No, we're moving on. We're going to try and find that guy, whether it's in the draft or via trade, because everyone in the league knows you can't. It's very, very challenging to win without that player. And I think it's especially that pressure is especially acute now with him because the team has gone out and found pieces to support him. You know, Terry, they re-signed. Jahan in the draft, who's looked very nice in training camp. Curtis Samuel is healthy. They draft a guy in the fifth round who looks like he's going to be a star in Cole Turner, right? Logan Thomas is healthy, right? It's just... There's all these pieces around him and, you know, can they maximize him? Can they make it work? So if he doesn't make it work, I think it's kind of like, well, you know, the, the team will probably move on. They'll probably draft a guy in the, in the first round next year. Cause there's going to be a couple of good quarterbacks. And I think that'll be the end of Carson's tenure here in Washington. So in terms of perceived pressure, I think it's perceived and it's also real quite frankly. Now, last thing on Carson, let's do a, a pie chart or, or just a piece of pie uh, for a successful playoff season. What percentage of that pie would Carson be responsible for uh, Washington making the playoffs? What, how much responsibility does he bear? What's, what's consisting? What, what composes the rest of the pie chart? Is it? Dawson's Let's say, defense? cause we have, yeah. so, so we obviously have, you know, Scott Turner, we have uh, the defense, uh, slash Jack Del Rio. Uh, we have the, the the health of the offensive line. All sure. these other things. Whatever you want to put into this pie, where does where does Carson Wentz uh, lie, and what is the percentage that he has? Does he have a large? Well, you know, you get it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I get it. Is um. So I guess what I would say is that obviously football is a team game, and everyone needs to carry their weight. But in terms of being a playoff team this year, like Carson Wentz is the number one variable in my in my book, right? So I would say approximately 50% of the pie chart. Then it's like the offensive line, the receivers, the defense is maybe 35%. But like he is a huge part of this, right? Because he's the facilitator. I think everyone sees when you look around the landscape of the NFL, what a good quarterback or what even a, even like a, like not, not even elite quarterback, but like, like a Derek Carr or a Kirk Cousins does for your offense. Just having that player there just makes everybody better. And I think like that's, that's what we're looking at here. Like if he plays well, 10 wins is a very reasonable outcome. If he does not play well, like five wins is, is a very reasonable outcome. And like that's all on him. That's a five-win swing on one player playing good or bad. Now, like there's a scaffolding there, like we've talked about, that needs to support him, the offensive line, the skill guys, the offense, the, the, the special teams, the defense, excuse me. But he's, he, in my opinion, he is the most significant element for this team's success this year. And however that quantifies in that pie chart, but he like I that's that's one reason I'm excited for this game because I want to see how he looks. I want to see how he looks yeah. versus real real opponents. I'm I'm with you all the way. And uh, in terms of other parts, well, or one last thing with the offense, uh, Brian Robinson's injury. Since his injury, mm. I I've kind of suggested that my opinion and that Turner shouldn't. I, I personally feel like Turner shouldn't look back 
on on AG's prime prior role as a primary back. I think that they should continue with their plans to transition him into more of an offensive weapon slash return specialist, uh, whatever, like implement him more in the offense uh, from a pass and run standpoint. Uh, but where are you at with AG and the RB group heading into the season uh, with obviously Brian Robinson out now? Yeah, I mean, obviously, Brian Robinson had an outstanding training camp, had an outstanding preseason and shown why he warranted that third round pick. And so uh, his injury is obviously very sad from a personal standpoint, but it's obviously very sad from a um, a, a team standpoint as well in terms of how effective he was going to make this offense. Because I think one of the things about Ryan Robinson that is is unique amongst the running back room is he's very good about keeping the offense on schedule. He's not going to be taking, you know, a three-yard loss on first down. He very rarely has like a zero-yard run. And I think that that encourages, that helps Scott as a play caller, that helps Carson execute the offense. So um, it, it's definitely a big blow. And, I, you know, I would say what you're going to see with Ryan out is you're going to see a lot more AG. And I think AG's look pretty good in practice this, this these last two weeks. He's kind of doing a good job of getting himself ready to go. He's been much more decisive with his cuts. And I don't think... I think the fumble thing was really blown out of proportion, quite frankly. I think that that is kind of unfair to him. Obviously, like you need to hold on to the football, but he's still a very, very talented runner. And he's going to get a lot of touches. And he deserves to get a lot of touches. And especially with Brian Robinson being out, like all of Brian Robinson's touches should go to AG and maybe McKissick in certain situations and packages, right? So I, I actually feel like, you know, we're all sad that Brian Robinson's out, but AG rushed for over 1,000 yards last year. And there was a point in this offseason where we were talking about whether he could hold the rushing title. So that's still the same player. He's still there. He's still got that tremendous ability. He's still got that home run threat. And I'm excited to see what he looks like, quite frankly, with this offense and the ability to spread these guys out and create some space for him. Because we've talked about this, you and I. Like, he's a space player. Like, he executes really well in space. Like, this offense is going to, it should anyway, based on the personnel, find ways to generate space for him. And so I want to see what that looks like. And I don't think people should be, uh, I think people should be sad. Brian Robinson's hurt because he was, he looked like he was poised for something very good, but I think AG still a fantastic football player. And I think, you know, he's going to be a big, huge part of this offense until Brian Robinson gets back. Defensively, what are the strengths and weakness, the strongest points and obviously the weakest points of the commander's defense? Um, and then I guess, well, after I'll get to Jamie Davis after that, but yeah, what are the strengths and weaknesses of the commander's defense? Well, through training camp, surprisingly, I think it's the back end. I think they've done a really nice job in the back end. Kendall Fuller was probably the best player in training camp. Like he had really an outstanding period. He just did a nice job. Um, you know, like basically locking Terry down, giving uh, Jahan all that he could handle during the training camp period. And so I think that back end group's doing a really nice job. Cam Curl, Bobby McCain. William Jackson III even had a very nice training camp. So I think right now, just in terms of play, I think that's probably the strength. I think everyone would probably turn to the defensive line and say that group. I think John had a tremendous training camp. He looked good in the preseason in terms of creating pressures off his bull rush. A guy that I think needs to needs to step up a little bit. He had a nice camp, but I think it needs to be – we need to see that transition to the field is uh, Montez Sweat. And I think Montez does a really nice job. He's a good football player, but I want to see – the guy who's, you know, got 36-inch arms, the guy who runs the 4-4, I want to see his physical traits start to mirror the production on the field. And he's been close a couple years now. Like, he's been, in my opinion, a more effective pass rusher 
in certain situations than Chase Young, for example. But I need to see the results. You know, I need to see him creating a whole bunch of pressure, taking over games on third down, taking over games in the red zone, where those elite pass rushers really make their presence felt. So that's kind of what I'm waiting to see. I think Payne had a really nice camp, too. So both interior guys, uh, Big Phil inside, um, Fedarian did an excellent job in terms of his role. Um, you know, it's going to be a little bit different than those other two guys, but again, a very nice piece added. And then James uh, Smith-Williams and Casey Tool did a nice job on the other side in terms of showing why they're great rotational pieces for this defense. But um, I think that group, that if, the, if this team wants to be an elite group, that defensive front needs to really kind of stamp, put the stamp on the NFL and say, all of these press clippings that we've been getting, all of this hype we've been getting, it's totally deserved as opposed to just one guy kind of standing out in that group and John Allen, everyone needs to be making big plays and playing at a high level. So I think that's, that's why I would kind of go secondary over defensive line. And then the linebackers, um, you know, I think are an improved group, but I think there's some questions there. Um, and then, you know, even, even with the secondary, but I'm kind of rambling now, but even with the secondary, the, the depth there is a little bit of an issue that I think needs to be, needs to be monitored over the course of the season. So even a strength could potentially be a weakness with one injury and Cam Crow with his thumb now kind of changes the complexion of that group. Yeah, I guess we'll, we'll go to Cam Crow right quick. Cause that was part of it. How do you kind of predict Washington adjusting in an event that he might play? I mean, excuse me, might not play. Is this more of a, a Derek Forrest uh, insertion or is this a Derek Forrest and Percy Butler insertion? How does this whole thing play out in, in the event that Crow doesn't play? Yeah, I mean, you know, the last probably two weeks of training camp, they were working Percy Butler in as the nickel, and he did a really nice job there. And I think he was, he seemed like he was progressing in a way that showed he was ready for a larger role. And I think I really like Derek. I think he's a very good football player. He's my kind of football player, physical, tough, um, you know, like he just is fun to watch. But I think he does have some athletic limitations that kind of make you say, like, is this really – um, is this really who you want starting at safety for the team because of like the lack of elite speed and Percy Butler has all this potential. And again, potential is kind of a bad word in the NFL, but I do think early on it could be uh forest. Like I could see him starting this week if Cam doesn't play, but I think ultimately the team is going to try and get Percy into that role. If there's, if there's an extended period of time where Cam is out. Jamin Davis, man, I liked what I saw in the preseason. I, I liked, uh, I mean, he had a, a couple missed assignments, but uh, nothing like too alarming. But ultimately, I just like what I saw from Jamie Davis uh, in the trenches. And uh, what do you think about his his 2022 season? Do you think that he can turn things around for him in year two? Yeah, I mean, at least through training camp and OTAs and preseason, he looks like a different player to me. I think, you know, obviously he's got to do it when the bullets are real kind of thing, but he's much more decisive to the football. He seems to conceptually understand how offenses are trying to attack him better. Obviously, it's not perfect. But I think at least now he looks like a starting linebacker in the NFL. And you see his potent, you see his tremendous upside. You see why he was taken with the 19th pick overall. You see the size, you see the speed. You see just like stuff that only a handful of guys on the face of the planet can do. And I think that is encouraging. Like obviously he needs to make that a more consistent part of his game. You know what I mean? Like he needs to kind of be making more plays consistently. But in terms of being able to run with backs and coverage, like very impressive. One-on-ones during training camp with McKissick, very impressive. The way he's been fitting runs, I love that because it shows a confidence to his game. So, yeah, is is he playing better? 100%. Do I think he's poised for a much better year? Yes, but he still has to go do it, and I still have to see it. So as excited as I am about him, 
I think I'm always going to be a little bit reluctant because I saw how how poor last year went for him. And I know that's, that, that, that player's in there. And despite the kind of positive trajectory he's on now, I need to see him do it with real bullets against real, real defenses who are actually game planning for him. All right, so let's go ahead and get up out of here with a, a couple week one questions, man. And obviously, uh, Logan, I do appreciate your time uh, checking in with me uh, this morning. And uh, looking at week one, uh, Peterson, Doug Peterson, has a, a system in the NFL. Clearly, that was good enough to win a Super Bowl in Philly. Uh, but he's a new coach for a different organization with different player personnel around him. Uh, Doug and his staff ha- uh, has two years worth of tape to look through Rivera and can, and can evaluate on, from that perspective. Uh, so a two-parter here, does uh, any of this create an advantage for Peterson come Sunday? But also, what are some of the ways that you think Rivera can prepare for Peterson and his new team? Yeah, so I think the easiest way to go back is watch the 2020 game against, you know, I think the Washington football team at the time and the Philadelphia Eagles and just see how uh, Doug Peterson wanted to attack this group. Now, there are going to be some changes. The past game coordinators, uh, Jim Bob Cooter, who was formerly of Detroit, you know, but uh, and there are a lot of similarities between that offense and um, the offense that the Washington football team run, or the commanders run here, which I think is good. There's a new run game offensive line coach slash coordinator. So there is a little bit of change in terms of, um, you know, kind of run philosophy. The guy, the guy's name is Phil Rauscher. He was here for a long time as an assistant to Bill Callahan. So you see a little bit of that Bill Callahan influence on the run game. I think they're still like the core of the offense is Doug Peterson's, but it's kind of molding and shifting based on the staff that he's assembled there, right? So I think you're still going to see a lot of like RPO stuff, a lot of that kind of um, those unusual game plan runs that he's kind of, I don't want to say he's famous for, but are a part of what he does in terms of like traps and whams and smashes, like these things where you let the interior guys go and you find different ways to get blockers on them. And that's especially applicable here with Washington because of the front that they have. So um, that, that'll always be interesting to see. And then I think the other interesting thing is just how talented Trevor Lawrence is like watching him in the preseason and watching his ability, like, man, he is a special football player. Now he's got a little bit of Carson Wentz to his game and like the accuracy department, but Holy cow, bro. Like he is an impressive son of a gun. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what Peterson does with him. Does he utilize his rushing ability? Does he utilize that big arm? He doesn't, I think the issue with that offense right now at the moment is that they don't have all these super dynamic playmakers on the outside. You know, they paid Christian Kirk to kind of be that super slot guy, but I, at least in the preseason, I haven't seen that skill set from him. They've got Jones, Zay Jones, and then Marvin Jones, right, who are good football players, but I don't think anyone is scared of those guys. So really not a ton of weapons in terms of kind of maximizing Trevor Lawrence, right? And I think that's something, you know, when you look at Doug Peterson, he's always had kind of some pretty good horses on the outside when that offense is successful, right? Alshon Jeffrey, Deshaun Jackson, right? And then as that group kind of thinned out and became less effective, the offense became less effective. So I think that's something to keep an eye on is how the, how the lack of elite skill players, how the new coordinators affect what Doug Peterson's trying to do in the context of the offense and fitting it to this scheme around a, around a very talented signal caller. Last one here. While I think, um, so I think 
you know, a lot of people look at Washington's like you actually talk, spoke on it earlier. Like a lot of people think about the the bombs over Baghdad with this offense because of who's that quarterback and um you know the weapons that Washington has and and the potential that they can uh be that can be realized in this offense. Um, I think that Sunday's game will mostly come down to trench play and also Wentz's performance uh, offensively. Uh, trench play on both sides of the ball for Washington. Uh, what do you think will be keys to a Washington victory uh, as early as uh, September 7th, <laughs> the day in which we're recording? Right. What do you think the, the keys will be? Well, one thing I, I think is important is when you watch Jacksonville, um, I think their interior offensive line is very good. And I think their edge guys uh, leave something to be desired. desired. Cam Robinson and uh, Jawan, I think is his name. Jawan, can't remember his last name. But both physically gifted guys, but guys who kind of are lackadaisical. So I want to see Montez Sweat dominate that matchup. I want to see him really put his stamp on this game and win those matchups because those are matchups he can win. And if he does that and he's able to generate pressure on Trevor Lawrence, like as talented as Trevor Lawrence is, like he's not going to be able to do anything. And obviously, like I think that's a huge element. I think it's really critical that the team executes offensively, the commanders now, on first and second down and stays out of third and long situations. And what I mean by that is like when you watch Jacksonville, they do a really nice job of having a kind of stable of defensive end slash defensive tackle tight bodies who have pass rush twitch to them. And they all come out there on um, on third down and they let it rip. <clears throat> and like that's dangerous because they're able to get good pressure. I, I mean, it was against Pittsburgh, obviously, and their offensive mm-hmm. line is not good they're able to get good pressure with that group on third situation. So to me, Scott Turner's play calling on first and second down, you know, this is like that Todd Bowles defense where they tried out like those huge, you know, 320 pounders that stuff up the run. They want you to try and pass on first down. And then Todd Bowles is going to try and heat you up in certain situations. So how does Scott Turner handle that? You know, knowing that they're going to match in these big personnel groupings. Do you try to throw on first down, you know, the Todd Bowles, that, that tree of defense because Caldwell's the defensive coordinator likes to pressure a lot. So managing first and second down, I think, is huge for the offense. And the Montez sweat tackle matchup is huge for the defense. Logan, man, I always appreciate your time that you're willing to give. Uh, Trapper Dive and obviously Hogs Haven as well. I want to give you the floor now just to plug anything and everything Uh that you got going on, man. The podcast is incredible. Keep up the good work on that side, too. Yeah, so obviously got the Take Command podcast, which we're pretty excited about. You can get that wherever you get your podcasts. Um, obviously, my Instagram, Logan underscore Paulson82, where I do a lot of my breakdowns and like media contents on there. And then obviously everything for NBC Sports Washington with Julie and that kind of stuff. There's been a whole bunch of recently very good content coming out there. And you can check out their YouTube channel. And then, uh, yeah, I'm going to have a pregame show on 106.7 the fan so uh make sure you guys check what that time? out that uh, i think it's like three hours before the game we'll be on the radio so if the game's at one i think it starts at 10 and uh yeah we're really excited about all all that too craig and i are hosting that so yeah man check all that stuff out and i, I appreciate you having me on
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.